So very thankful to be able to assemble with you this morning and to open God's word in such a way as we would magnify his name and be edified in our hearts. Appreciate the prayers, the good songs that uh, reflect a lot of what's on our hearts this morning. And uh, that's how I know the spirit is moving among us when you hear the, the harmony and the hymns and their connection to the subject that God has placed on your hearts. This morning, I want to title our message and study of God's Word, Trusting God in Troubled Times. Trusting God in Troubled Times. There's no doubt that we're living in very troubled times. There's no doubt that we're living in what Paul refers to in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, as perilous times. Perilous meaning dangerous times. When we reflect on the condition of our nation, uh, politically as well as economically and socially, and all of the invasion, the terrible invasion we're experiencing as a, uh, as a people, and it reminds us so much of many of the stories that we read in the Old Testament, one of which we're going to try to expound upon for a little while this morning. I'd like you to open your Bible with us to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 15. Second Chronicles, chapter 15. I'd like to start out with the first four verses of this chapter. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him... He will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. But this morning we want to Learn from God's word what it means to trust God in troubled times. It's easy for us to trust God when things are good, when things are smooth, when it seems like everything in life just brings about joy and ease and comfort and, and we experience uh, a lack of uh, obstinate uh, opposition or reflection in our lives but the four main points that I want to consider with you this morning is where does trouble come from I want to understand what it means when it talks about time or times of trouble in the word of God I want to understand how it is that we're commanded to trust or rely upon God during such times, and then lastly, to see our true triumph that is only through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the only hope for our nation. He's the only hope for our eternal life. When we think about trouble, we often think about what Job said in the midst of his trial of faith. He said in Job chapter 14, verse 1, Man that is born of woman is but a few days and full of trouble. The reason he would acknowledge that is because the source of trouble is sin. We live in a sin-cursed environment. We live in a broken world, a broken universe, a broken relationship between man and God. Adam's failure passed universal consequence, as we learn from Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Paul said, um, death came by man, and so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in the world ye shall have tribulation. He, he meant that. It's, it's not something that's unusual. It's not something that we should be uh, unexpectant toward. Trouble is a part of a broken world in which we live. And that brokenness uh, is not only external. When we talk about trouble externally, we're talking about uh, physical trauma. We're talking about economic upheavals, political um, unrest and uh, inadequacy. We're talking about the reality of war that our world has been inundated with from the time of Adam. We're talking about um, inward trouble that comes often through fear, anxiety. You see it all around you. A lady the other day was, uh, was asked to leave because she wore a, a, a belt that had uh, 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 wooden rods that measured six feet. You know, three feet on each side of her and three feet in the middle. And she couldn't fit through the aisle. And they said, well, if you're not going to take that off, you need to leave the store. And that kind of phobia, you can't get within six feet of my space. It's unreal what we're witnessing in our country today. The spirit of fear, anxiety, um, the, the spirit of idolatry that, that the individual is more important than anyone else. And uh, everybody's truth is true, and everybody is able to identify themselves as whatever they want to be, and it be accepted. The confusion there is over male and female, the confusion that you're seeing even in the Supreme Court of our country, simple, simple things become very complex and complicated in the midst of a generation that is in trouble. And we're witnessing that in our own nation. But don't think that we're the only nation that's ever experienced such a thing. Trouble, if you'll note with me, is the result of sin. The Bible speaks a lot about time. Time and times. What we need to understand this morning that is that all times are under God's sovereign rule. David said in Psalm 31, verse 15, My times are in thy hand. 
He said in Psalm 77, verse 5, I have considered the years of ancient times, Lord. He said in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He's the governor of all times. Isaiah 46 and verse 10, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like unto me, declaring from ancient times the things which are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Paul picked up on that language in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 when he said, God who hath in sundry times and divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. He's acknowledging God's sovereignty over all the times, the times of peace and prosperity and the times of woe and trouble. We're going to find that uh, in particular this morning in our study of Second Chronicles chapter 15. But the third thing I think about is defining trust rightly. The term trust in the biblical sense is the attitude of reliance upon another, both subjectively and objectively. See, it depends on who your trust is focused upon. We're going to learn more about that in a little while. I love what David said in Psalm chapter 40, verse 4. He said, Blessed is he that maketh the Lord his trust. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 9, he said, The Lord will be my refuge in times of trouble. I love Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, when he said, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Also Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 7. Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord whose hope the Lord is. Objectively. Our hope is in the Lord. Our confidence is in the Lord. Our reliance this morning is a is, is in the Lord or should be. And then lastly, we're going to consider this morning our greatest victory that is experienced through Jesus Christ. But I say this um, in a preliminary way so that we understand the lessons that I hope to draw from our study today. We're going back in time 900 years before the coming of Christ to one of the good kings of Judah, whose name was Asa. Asa is a Hebrew name that means physician. It's someone that God raised up at a particular time in the national identity of Judah, wherein the true worship of God would be preserved. Remember, Jesus Christ is going to come through what tribe? The tribe of Judah. All the other 11 tribes were absorbed in different parts of the world and in, and in different peoples. But God preserved the nation of Judah because it would be through Judah that the Messiah would one day come nine centuries later. So God has a plan for the nation of Judah and he raises up these good kings 
and one of those wonderful kings was Asa. Asa was the great-grandson of Solomon himself and a very wise man to begin with. If you back up in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, uh, Abijah, the father of, a, uh, uh, of Asa, uh, who, by the way, was not such a good king, but Asa, uh, it says in verse 1, Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. Now, Asa reigned 41 years between 911 and 870 B.C., and uh, what's interesting is how much peace was attributed to the days of Asa. And it was uh, as a result of Asa's dedication to God. His trust, in his own words, his trust is going to be focused upon the Lord. Now, we're not going to go through all this chapter, but we're going to understand that even though uh, Asa was a wise and a righteous king, that did not spare him from experience tr experiencing trouble. Because in this chapter, there is an Ethiopian army that's, uh, that comes up against Judah, and they're in, uh, they're in conspiracy with Egypt, and they want to destroy these Jews from off of that land so that they can uh, increase their commerce and enslave these thousands of people. And, and we read in this chapter where Asa only had uh, an army of 580,000 and um, Zerah, the Ethiopian, had an army in verse 9 of 1,300,000 uh, men and chariots. Um, it's, interesting, it's interesting to me that they were outnumbered two to one. You would say, well, now that's trouble. That's trouble. That's exactly right. But I want to see how Asa responded to that trouble. Notice what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God. He cried unto the Lord his God. He's going to the objective uh, person of his trust. The objective person of his confidence. And he cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, listen to what he said. Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. We're resting on the sufficiency of God himself. And in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. And you know the rest of the story, how that God... Uh, intervened in a mighty way and they were totally defeated in fact there was not one survivor the bible says there wasn't one survivor in the ethiopian army they took every one of them out and took all of that they had for their own spoil now asa is riding on a high place because he has seen a demonstration of god's faithfulness to his people that trust in him no matter how great the trouble no matter how heavy the weight, no matter how numerous the enemy, Asa uh, came to the place where he says it doesn't matter because God's on his throne. We're going to trust him, and he's going to see us through all our trouble. But God has a little surprise in store for Asa because on his way back to Jerusalem, God sends him a prophet that's only mentioned one time in all of Scripture. This is the only time that the prophet Azariah, the son of Oded, is even mentioned. 
We know very little about him. But he had the word of God not only for Asa, but also for his victorious army. And that's what we started with. That's our text this morning. And he says, I want to remind you of a few things, uh, King Asa. God is the one who defends and preserves those who seek his honor. Those who fear his name. Those who truly from the heart trust in him. That he's going to see us through every trial. Listen to how he describes this. The Lord is with you while you are with him. He's not going to ever let you down. Now you're going to let him down, but he's never going to let you down. Those that draw nigh unto him in confidence and rely upon the sufficiency of his grace and promise are never going to be disappointed. But he's warning Asa. He's warning the nation of Judah. And he's warning you and me this morning that we cannot place our trust in men or in armies or in political parties or in judiciaries. We cannot. We must put objectively our faith, confidence, and reliance upon the true God of heaven. I think that goes right with David's charge to Solomon back over in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 when uh, David is uh, passing the torch to Solomon, his son. Uh, he uh, says something that really uh, points to this reality, this charge uh, to uh, King Solomon. He says in First uh, Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Don't be guided by fear. Don't be overwhelmed by the enormity of any task. You trust God to see you through. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying, uh, Solomon, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not interested in trying to uh, impose something, a burden upon you that you're not able to undertake. But I know that under God's blessing and your trust in him, he's going to see you through. Watch verse 9 of First Chronicles 28. He says, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. See that kind of warning. It's a consistent warning all the way through uh, the, the, the Old Testament scripture. And that mandate is actually found in James chapter 4 and verse 8 uh, in the New Testament. Because what James is saying uh, to us is the same thing that David is charging Solomon with. That if you, uh, uh, if you forsake the Lord, he will forsake you. If you turn your back on the true God of heaven, he's going to let you have your way. I believe that's what's happening to America today. Uh, the courts and the schools and all of the uh, environment that we're living in is hostile to Christianity today. 
because they have rejected the God of heaven. They've rejected not you, they've rejected God. They've rejected the truth of the scripture and making equal, if you will, every form of religious uh, application you can think of, including Satanism. All of these things are being not only introduced, but encouraged in the public square. There's only one religion that is resulting in opposition and, and uh, uh, re resulting in persecution today in America, and it's Christianity. Do you, do you think that that's trouble? I think it's trouble. Because America was established as a Christian nation upon Christian principles, and we should never be ashamed to acknowledge that fact. Never should we be ashamed to acknowledge that America was founded as a Christian nation. Now, it's a day of trouble now, but it was also a day of trouble in the days of Asa. And he, I love the way he's responding to the truth of God. Now, that's what I want to get to. How am I going to respond to what the Bible teaches me about trusting God in troubled times. Watch this. In 2 Chronicles 15, uh, the prophet says something astounding because there's a contrast between the way Judah is being led and the way that the ten separated tribes of Israel were being led. During the 41-year period of Asa's rule over Judah, there were no less than eight evil kings that rose up in Israel, each one worse than the one before them. And so the prophet says, he, he's going to draw attention to that contrast. He says in verse 3, Now for a long season Israel, he's talking about the ten tribes, northern tribes of Israel, hath been without a true God. Why? As you study First and Second Kings, you find out that they slid into idolatry. They were worshiping every kind of God, every form of religion. They were, uh, they, were, uh, uh, they were lost. They lost their moorings. They, they were separated from their foundation and began to serve gods of gold and silver and stone. Even Moloch, they would uh, worship Moloch where they would take a little infant child and burn that child alive on the altar of Moloch. Somebody says, oh my goodness, how could a people that know Jehovah God ever do such a thing? Well, brothers and sisters, America has committed that very same sin. Over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of abortion in America since 1973. The Roe v. Wade decision, not law, but decision. I'm pointing that out because we relate, we can relate to the judgment that God imposed upon Israel long ago, and not only then, but also in the sending of the great flood in Noah's day. There's a time when God says, enough is enough, and he draws the line and judgment falls. It fell upon the Antiluvian uh, uh, generation uh, before the flood, and it fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And brothers and sisters, I believe this morning it's falling upon America.
How do you know that? Well, we're going to find out. Because when God separates from a nation, trouble increases. For a long season, Israel hath been without the true God. They're not acknowledging the true God. You can acknowledge anything but God. You do, you, when you pray, you pray, you end your prayer with, uh, in the name of God, whoever you consider Him to be. Now that's the politically correct prayer of our day. And it's a shame. It's a shame. Israel, for a long season, hath been without the true God. Now watch this. Without a teaching priest. Do you understand what happened? As we studied the book of 2 Kings, uh, remember the wicked kings either killed the priests and prophets that were <laughs> true servants of God, or they expelled them and they went down to Judah. And that's another subject. But they rejected the true teaching of God's word. What's happening in America today? The word of God is being rejected. And I'm not talking about rejected by the world. We expect that. We, we expect that. They're, they're always going to re reject truth. Because they don't have eyes to see. They can't understand without the spirit of God within them. And they're going to reject uh, all truth. But what we're seeing today is people claiming to be Christians that are rejecting the truth of God's word. Today is the first generation of Christian influence wherein you can have a Christian pornographer. You can have a Christian homosexual. You can have a Christian uh, LGBT transgendered people. You can have Christian everything. All they do is hyphenate whatever they want to be with the name Christian, and that means that they're okay and accepted. Well, brothers and sisters, they may be accepted with society, but they'll never be accepted with God. God will reject everything that's contrary to his nature. This is where Israel lost their moorings. They were a long time without the truth being taught, without the word of God being expounded to them, and they lost their way. And they did it very quickly. One generation is all it takes, and Israel was lost. You hear me this morning? What are we going to do about it? Listen to this. Israel without a teaching priest and without law. Do you understand what he means by that? Without law, without restraint. You know, the Bible teaches us that all men are evil by nature. Our, 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 our broken, fallen nature, we're evil. But let me hasten to say this morning that we're not near as evil as we could be. There's something in the grace and mercy of God called common grace where God restrains evil. And if it was not for that restraining power of God, you'd, you'd be able to see just how evil men can be. Read an article just recently about the Holocaust that a lot of people are even denying. Even happened. Six million Jews destroyed, and a lot of them children. Little children. Not because they were enemies of the state, not because they were uh, any kind of a, an opposing factor in Germany, 
but they were a different race. They were, they were um, a, a different uh, religious identity. And because of that, they wanted to stamp them out. Brothers and sisters, that's evil, but that's not as evil as it could have been. America today is embracing every form of evil practice, every form of evil ideology, every form of evil political identity. Socialism is evil. It's evil. And it always opposes Christianity. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm trying to bring it to our footstep here. I'm, I'm talking about a nation in trouble. And we're in trouble. What are we going to do? We're going to do what Asa did. We're going to do what ancient Judah did. We're going to trust in the living God. And we're going to approach God through His Word because His Word is the standard of all that's true. If you miss every point I make this morning... Don't miss that one. Asa is, is, is being confronted by this prophet and he's just warning him and us that we need to trust in the true God. We need the teaching of the word of God and we need the restraining power of the law of God. Verse 4, But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. He will always be found of those who from the heart seek to return to him, seek to receive forgiveness from him and pardon from him. And I'm so glad that that is the truth. Now let's follow on. Let's unpack this chapter and see how it relates to America today and you and I today. In verse 5, in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations are upon all the inhabitants of the countries. Do you see what he's describing? He's describing trouble. He's de describing a sin-filled and sin-embracing society that has rejected the knowledge of God and rejected the governance of God and God's word. And he says, there's trouble in the land because they have rejected me. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. In other words, there's great division and racial strife going on all the way around. For God did vex them with all adversity. There's a day of trouble here. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words of the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the pathway to victory. Here's the pathway to triumph. It takes courage. It takes courage for our young people to stand up in a, a, a college environment where uh, God is being questioned and even reviled and mocked. And to state, I'm a follower of the true God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That takes a lot of courage. And, and, and here he says, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Ephraim. And uh, stop right there. What did he do? He dealt with idols. 
He dealt with, dealt with idols. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, we don't have that problem in America. We don't, we don't have these uh, images. We don't, we don't have these uh, things that we bow down and worship uh, in the public square. But, brothers and sisters, there's all kinds of idols. The, idol, the worst kind of idols is the idol of the heart. And by nature, each one of us have them. And we've got to deal with them. We've got to deal with those idols, those things in our life that we treasure more than we treasure God, whatever it might be. If we're going to be useful in the kingdom of God and useful in the work of God and useful uh, in the ministry of the gospel, we're going to have to deal with those idols because God is not going to fellowship idolatry. Not then, nor not now. He's not going to do it. So Asa is going to deal with idolatry. He's, he takes out the abominable idols out of the land, and then he does something that I uh, really treasure this morning, and he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord, something that had been neglected, something in a lot of places that had been torn down, the altars that belonged to to the Lord. Do you remember the ministry of Elijah? How that, uh, remember Brother Nathan, this is his sugar stick right here. Uh, but um, in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah is facing off with the 400 prophets of Baal, remember that story? And uh, he just challenged them and he says, listen, let's, uh, let's raise an altar, make a sacrifice on the altar, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Boy, and they all agreed. Do you remember? They all agreed. The one that answers by fire, let him be God. And the prophets of Baal built their altar, and I imagine it was a fancy thing. And they uh, put that uh, bullock on that altar, and they danced around that altar, and they cut, the, uh, cut themselves, and they cried out. They did everything in their power to get, he uh, to get uh, fire to come down from heaven to destroy or to accept that sacrifice, but nothing happened. Then the old prophet comes up. What did he do? He rebuilt the ancient altar. He didn't come up with a new altar. He took an altar that had been discarded, an altar that had been forgotten, an altar that had been mocked through the centuries, and raised it up again, put the sacrifice on the altar, and the fire from heaven came down. Asa is following that same pattern. He's saying, you know, the true God, he's worth worship. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, I believe I, believe I can worship God anywhere and any, anyhow and any way I want to. And by the way, we can worship God in every aspect of our life. I'm not saying we can't, but I'm going to tell you there is a, there is a significance in the economy of God to the church to the assembly of the community of believers wherein we jointly offer sacrifices unto God. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about drawing the families together so that they can focus upon worshiping the God who is our trust. So don't try to belittle the church. Don't try to belittle corporate worship because it's very important in our battle against sin and shame in the world. He renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. 
and listen to this. And he gathered all Judah. Remember, I'm talking about community. He, he gathered all Judah and Benjamin. And notice this. And the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh. Why is he mentioning those tribes? Those were part of the ten tribes that had been kicked out. They'd been kicked out of the idolatrous nation of Israel. And now they've, they've came, come, come, uh, uh, came down into uh, Judah to worship the true God. There's a remnant, you see, out of those tribes that came into Judah. For they fell, um, for they fell to him, to Asa, out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. And they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. I wrote down 897 B.C. What they were doing was observing the Feast of Weeks that occurs in the month of May and June in our calendar. And they offered unto the Lord, verse 11, they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. In other words, there was no cost, uh, there, there was no cost consideration. They were exuberant. They were abundant in their giving uh, because of their um, uh, focus upon the God of heaven and their love for him. Now watch this. That whosoever, uh, oh, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. The reason I want to come down to that verse is because this is the response each of us ought to have to the word of God. If God says it, if God says it, I should believe it. If God says not to do it, I shouldn't do it. If God says to do it, I should do it. Even if I don't understand why. Even if I can't explain everything that God's up to. If God's plain, inerrant word says that something is wrong, brothers and sisters, I don't care how many colleges, I don't care how many politicians, I don't care how many laws or Supreme Court says that it's okay, it, it doesn't matter to me. If God says it's wrong, it's going to be wrong eternally. Because God is not going to change his mind like you and I do. And sometimes trouble comes to get our mind back right. Much more could be said on that, but I wanted to capture that particular verse. Now, jump down for time's sake. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Jump down to time's sake to verse 18 in the same chapter. And, uh, and he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated. He's talking about Asa. Asa is going to do something. He's, he, he's uh, trying to lead the nation in a godly path. And he's dealing with the idolatry issue. He's, he's dealing with uh, the teaching priest. He's, he's making sure that the word of God is being taught throughout the cities of Judah. He's making a strong defensed city a strong defense to a nation. He's doing all of this in harmony with God's commands. And he's recognizing God's sovereignty over all of his troubles and all of his trials. And, and then he does something here. He, he brings the things that his father had passed on to him and dedicated it unto the Lord. Very unselfishly, he brought uh, uh, himself a dedicated silver, gold, and vessels. And there was no more war. Watch this. I, I want you to catch this before we leave this passage. 
and there was no more war, trouble, unto the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa. There was peace in Judah for twenty years. The longest period of peace recorded in the scripture for twenty years after Asa had led the nation in trusting God in the day of trouble. Now, let's go to a few more passages to capture what we're trying to deal with this morning. I want to go to Nehemiah chapter 9 very quickly. We've got to touch on these very quickly. But in Nehemiah chapter 9, remember Nehemiah is the great reformer. He's the one that is, God is going to use to rebuild uh, the walls uh, that were broken down around Jerusalem. We remember that. Um, there's several verses that I want to go to with you to drive these points home. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. In Nehemiah's prayer in chapter uh, 9, listen to this mandate. He's praying before the Lord, and, and he includes this. In verse 27, he says, Therefore thou, Lord, deliverest them into the hand of their enemies. Talking about the tri uh, nation of Judah. Delivered them into the hands of their enemies and vexed them. And in the time of their trouble. See, time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and according to thy manifold mercies, thou forgavest them, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God is able to raise up leaders after his own heart that will lead a willing people, will lead a submissive people, will lead an obedient people. And, and, I, and I'm going to say this, and I hope it's not offensive in any way, but it's just the truth. I believe that it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. If you and I here this morning are not able to deal with our own idols and our own sin issues, how in the world are we going to impact a blind and confused culture, a, a world that's filled with darkness and doubt and fear on every hand, how are we going to impact them effectively and for the glory of God if we're not willing to deal with our own sins, our own transgressions? You follow me? That's what Nehemiah's prayer is all about. Reading this prayer and the prayer of Daniel in Daniel 9, you would think they're the greatest sinners that ever walked the face of the earth. But what they're doing is being honest. Some of us are not being honest with God. We think we're all right. We think we're, hey, we think we deserve better than we have. But I got news for you. Whatever we have, it's better than we could ever deserve. I believe that Nehemiah is a great example of that kind of leadership as was Asa of old. It's important for us to pick up on this. Go with me, uh, go with me, if you don't mind, go with me to Psalm chapter 9. Listen to this, Psalm chapter 9, and we're going to touch on these very quickly because I've got to get to the New Testament before I close uh, this, 
this morning. But listen to this. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 9, The Lord also will be a refuge to, uh, for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble we're talking about, interior or exterior trouble. It doesn't matter. Uh, individual or corporate trouble. It doesn't matter. God is the answer. God is the one that has the remedy and the solution. And they, verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. See, those that objectively rely upon the promises of God and His sacred truth and His immutable character, His unchanging character, the God of the old days is the same God today. That's why we have such a firm foundation to stand upon. You see, in the windy day, in, in times where there's a, 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 a hurricane a-blowing, in the times of a tornado, a tornadic, a tornadic uh, activity uh, politically or economically or physically or even spiritually. The solid rock that we're standing on is the Lord himself. That's what David is acknowledging here. And don't forget Psalm uh, 27 verses 4 and 5. One thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Watch this. For in the time of trouble... In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. I love verses like that. And the Psalms are full of verses just like that. And what he's doing is reaffirming the fact that God is more than enough. He's more than sufficient to take care of any trouble that his people will ever be in. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful to think about? But why is it then? Knowing that, why is it that we would turn to something else or someone else other than God for the solution? Brothers and sisters, that's where we err. And, and what happens? How does God respond to that? He sends trouble. He sends trouble to drive His people back to Himself. And I believe that's why our nation is going through what we're going through today. I believe that He's speaking to His church. He's speaking to His people in our nation saying, you need to come to me with your whole heart. You need to come to me with your mind, with your body, with your treasure, your time, and your talent. You need to come to me because I am the remedy for your sorrows. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead. <laughs> There's so many. I've got at least 13 more verses in the Old Testament that I don't have time to get to. So let's go on over. I've got to show you the triumph that's ours in Christ. I can't quit yet. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Let me, let me show you this. What Matthew is doing is go, he's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah. Something that describes the character of the Messiah. He, he's actually quoting uh, Isaiah 42 verses 1 and 2 when he's relating it to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. Now watch what happens here in um, Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to back up to show you the trouble before I so show you the solution. Here's the trouble, verse 14. Are you with me in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14? 
Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Now what wrong thing did Jesus do? He healed a man on the Sabbath. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And what? how are they going to respond to that miracle? Let's kill him. Let's remove him. But when Jesus knew it, verse 15, he withdrew himself. See, he, he's not... He, he's not going to impose his presence on a people that reject him or that don't want his fellowship. He's not. He withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. I, I, don't you just love that? There's no case. There's no condition. There's no trouble beyond the ability of God to heal. He healed every one of them. He demonstrated his deity and his power over all disease in that very moment. And he charged them, saying, Deposit $10 into my bank account and I'll make sure that you make it to heaven. Oh, oh, it, oh wrong translation. Contact, let's see. Go contact all the newspapers and television stations and make sure everybody knows my name, address, and bank account number. No, wrong translation. Listen, he charged them that they should not make him known. See, what he was going to do was between him and God. He wanted it to stay between him and God. You know why? What he's teaching us is that the object of our worship is never men. It's never denominations. It's never churches. It, it, it's not. It's him. It's about God's glory. He says, that's who I want you to thank. And that's who I want you to serve. Now, here, catch this. Verse 17. That it might be fulfilled. Remember that is a purpose statement. This is why he did that that way. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Remember I told you Isaiah 42, 1 and 2. Behold my servant. This is talking about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my uh, spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment or justice to the Gentiles. He shall not strive. Listen carefully, children of God. He shall not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he shall not break. Listen, have you been bruised lately? Have you been uh, in trouble lately? Do you have some struggles that you're facing uh, in the near future? Uh, brothers and sisters, that's a bruised reed. What is he going to do to a bruised reed? Is he going to just go ahead and break it and destroy it? No. He, he's, he's not going to do that. He's not going to break it. He's going to restore it. And smoking flax shall he not uh, quench. Uh, smoking uh, flax or a wick in a lamp. Uh, instead of uh, dousing it in water, he's going to relight it. Till he sends forth judgment unto victory. And here's, here's what I want. And in his name shall the Gentiles, what? In his name 
shall the Gentiles trust. See, if you're not a Jew this morning, you're a Gentile, right? Well, that's talking about us. What he said back then, 2,000 years ago, he said for us. So that we would understand that Christ is the object of our trust. Not men or systems of men, but Christ Jesus alone. He's the answer and the remedy for all of our trouble and inadequacies. And lastly, we're going to the words of the Apostle Paul that we find in 2 Corinthians. In the book of 2 Corinthians, I I think about this in chapter, uh, actually uh, two passages here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Somebody says to me, and, and this is often the case, uh, uh, people, you know, we mention them in our prayer meetings, uh, people that have these terrible diseases and, and terrible things that happen to the people that we love and love us and, and love God and love the church and love the truth. And, and, and it just seems like they're living right and they're, they're, they're trying to honor the king and yet they have trouble. What's going on here? Has God forsaken them? Listen to what Paul says, would you? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, <clears throat> beginning with verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, plural, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, all our trouble, That uh, and here's why he's doing it, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort of, wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If I, if I never went through a sickness, how can I minister to somebody that's passing through a sickness? If I never experienced loss, if I, if I never experienced uh, a disease, if I've never experienced disappointment, how can I minister to someone that is going through those things, you see? So Paul says sometimes God sends trouble so that we can benefit others. Then he says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for trouble. It's always sovereign. Brothers and sisters, no trouble is going to touch you that doesn't first come through the fingers of Christ. And here's my closing verse in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians. You know, Paul is talking, he's, he's, he's talking about his suffering. He says, uh, you know, Satan opposed him and, and he's uh, gone through a lot of struggles for the gospel's sake. But then he says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. You see, the Apostle Paul recognizes that the triumph over demons and death and darkness, the victory that we have over the enemies of God can only be in Christ. It is Christ that teaches us the most important lesson this morning, that in all of our troubled times, we need to trust Him. God bless you and thank you for your good attention.